stories connect us as humans because stories are based on experience and stories bring the message to life. So the ability to tell a story is a key leadership skill. It's a way that we inspire. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name is Rick Nusky. I'd just like to say thank you very much for joining us on the show again and thank you for all, all of your support. To me, it makes all of the difference knowing that the show is making a difference for you. Now on today's call, thinking about things that make a difference in your business, I'm on the line with the wonderful Dr. Marja Jaggi. Welcome to the show. Hello, Rick. Thanks for having me. It is absolutely my pleasure to have you on the show with us. And uh, today we're obviously going to be talking a little bit about you as well as uh, your corporate experience, which spans quite some time in some pretty significant um, industry leaders, if you like. And we're going to be talking about B2B marketing, professional selling, and how the lessons that you've learned along the way can help um, people build a better, more productive and more profitable business. But uh, before we do any uh, of that, Marjit, I'm wondering if you could tell me where you're calling in from today. I'm calling you from the great state of Texas, great the state. Lone Star State. Fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. What do you love about the place? Uh, there's, there's a lot to love. Uh, some things to scratch your head. <laughs> uh, on, but uh, a lot to love. Uh, first and foremost, I would say I love being in the city where the Dallas Cowboys, my favorite American <laughs> football team, play. Um, no I surprises up... there. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I grew up not too far from uh, from here, almost seven hours from here, in the, in the neighboring state of Louisiana. And at the time, the local Louisiana professional football team, the New Orleans Saints, were not really that good. Uh -huh. And the Dallas Cowboys were America's team. So they were, they, it seemed, now that I think about it in hindsight, it felt like every weekend they were on TV. So naturally, yep. I, I grew attached to them, and it continues to, to this day. So I love being in the city where I can get in the car, you know, turn on the radio, listen to everything that has to do with the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, that's just a, a privilege and an honor and a blessing at the same time to, to be here and catch a couple of games uh, here and there live in, in person. Uh, weather is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my family and, and myself, we love warm weather much more than the, the colder uh, northern <laughs> hemisphere. Uh, we uh, we love the food, amazing food culture here. Everything from barbecue to Tex-Mex to authentic Mexican uh, food, uh, plus of course the diversity of a lot of the new communities uh, that are being integrated mm. um, into the uh, the food scene in in the city. Tell me about uh, what you think of life now, um, where you're at in in your life's journey. What do you think the most important thing is for you? at the moment oh at this very moment um it's just enjoying life taking it one day at a time yep and yep. that's one of the reasons why i left a 32-year corporate career and a very 
I would say, rewarding financially, I, I might mm-hmm. say, uh, financially rewarding career and go into something that I also love and that I wanted to do for years, and that is teaching. We'll talk uh, about, can we talk about that in a moment? But I'm wondering if we could just go over a few more other, other things with you in terms of, uh, you know, you talked briefly about growing up. Where was it that again that you grew up? Yeah, so I was born in uh, Amman, Jordan, mm. and I came to uh, to the States in 1980 um, as a 16-year-old. Yep. And then I continued my, my journey with, I joined uh, two of my brothers and, uh, and one sister at the time who were already here in the States uh, studying at different universities. And I came here, I joined them, and I continued the, uh, the journey in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, but, you know, my first few years were in, in Jordan. Um, food is a very important part of my life so far. So yep. and I've been yep. fortunate in having lived in places that have amazing food. So growing up, my, uh, my mom, bless her soul, was a great chef. And then uh, continuing the journey in New Orleans or Baton Rouge, Louisiana, being very close to New Orleans and experiencing Cajun food. Oh, yes. Uh, yum, talk yum. about elevating uh, your food <laughs> experience. And, you know, and now living here in the great state of Texas, as I mentioned, a lot of food. So, uh, yeah, that's Wonderful. Uh, so uh, Jordan and Louisiana are probably the two biggest parts. Parts of your life. That's right. Impacted my life. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. As would be, I guess, um, the people that would have been around you early on. Now, I know inside of your book, um, there's a certain person in your world that um, helped shape you into the individual you've become. I know that you're one of eight children. Tell us a little bit about yes. your family. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very important, I mean, it is the foundation of who I am as a, as a person today. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the reason for my success, it's the reason for my being. Um, so I'm one of eight, I'm the, the fourth, um, the third boy um, in a family of eight. My family is originally Palestinian refugees. My mom and my dad, uh, they left their respective uh, villages in the 1948 Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Mm-hmm. And they spent 10 years after that just going from one refugee camp to, to, another. Uh, to another until they settled in 1956 in Amman, Jordan. And they made a home there and it's been you know it's been it's been our um birth uh, place ever since um growing up obviously um i would say the first 20 years in in jordan rick so from 1956 to 1976 1977 mm-hmm. i would say we we grew up poor poor in the sense that financially we were uh very Challenged. Challenged, yeah. Uh, just didn't have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dad was a in and out of jobs, uh, not really committed to the family. So my mom had to fill the the gap and she had to take things on her own. Big shoes to fill. And, yeah, absolutely, big shoes. But she had the brains. She had the biggest brains. When I think about it today as a, as a 
former corporate executive, mm-hmm. as a university professor, and I reflect on her journey, Rick. It is it is unbelievably amazing how this woman who I did not tell you this, but she was illiterate. She was mm-hmm. completely illiterate. She did not know how to read and write. We taught her basic writing skills because she had to sign documents and she had to, to be yeah. able okay, to, to do basic uh, reading. But that never, ever stopped her from pursuing her dreams. That's and her dreams people. were encapsulated into one mission. And that mission was to make sure that every single one of her eight children was the most successful in their own career. She wanted to make sure that every single one of them got an education because she knew that education was the path, their path, her offspring's path to prosperity. She wanted her kids to have a better life, a much better life than the one that she had. And she knew that education was their only way out of that. I can feel that there's a lot of love there. I can just sense it through the through the um, through the airways, if you like. And uh, it's a wonderful Thank thing. You. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, I I take from this also, Majid, that her mindset was such that it was perseverance, it was tenacity, it was, you know, just sticking with it and having that singular mission. How has that transformed for you in a professional sense? Oh, com- completely. Every, every aspect of my success in life, mm. I attribute to those, to those foundational skills and values that I learned from my mom, that she instilled in every single one of us. Yeah. My, my siblings, we have, we're five boys and, and three girls. I, in my book, Leadership Lessons from an Illiterate Mother, I talk about those four lessons. And it's interesting you mentioned perseverance because that's one of the lessons that I learned uh, from her. Mm. To me, when I reflect on my own personal journey, having spent 32 years uh, with four of the largest uh, consumer goods companies in the world, four Fortune 100 companies Mm -hmm. in the world, and one of the reasons for my success is my perseverance. And to me, perseverance is the ability to focus on a particular target or and a particular skill and not ever giving up and yeah. doing everything yeah. that you need in order to, to get you there. It's not just about hard work. It's about recognition of what is it that you need in order to accomplish that objective and then doing things that are going to enable you and empower you to get there. See, with, with this clarity comes um, objectives that you would have set in these senior corporate roles. And it would have been very easy for you to look at the strategy and say, well, look, most of this is to do with people. People are obviously what business is, is basically from a foundational level. Um, how do you think that's helped you strategize in those senior roles over the years. You're absolutely right, Rick. It's, it's all about people, Mm. but to get the most out of people, to inspire people, Mm. that's the genius. That is leadership. That is the quality that a lot of people do not have. 
Yeah. You think about, you know, whether it's a, it's a sports team. What's your favorite sport, Rick? Uh, AFL, AFL football. Football. Yeah. AFL football. Yeah. So if you, if you take the best team out there, you will find there is a direct correlation between their success and the coach's ability to get the most out of their, out of their, their people. Yeah. So you see in, it a lot too in interviews yeah. and the way they talk. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you see them use a lot of similar words. You see them use a lot of similar analogies. You see the entire team focus on one thing, whether it's winning or being a, you know, a good team or whatever the, uh, the objective is. In, in my leadership uh, research, I did a, a study a few years ago that looked at leadership uh, perceptions among two uh, international cohorts. I looked at a group of Americans versus a group of Egyptians, just taking sort of a cross-cultural yes, yep. perspective, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know what's interesting, uh, Rick? Among both cohorts, the number one, re uh, the number one expectation that those people had of their first line manager. I mm -hmm. asked them the question around their first line and their second line manager. What did they expect of their first line manager, their direct boss? Both groups said, I want one thing, and that I want them to be able to inspire me. Wow. Right? Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Culture doesn't play uh, a, part a big reason, right? No. no. So, when, that does, so that doesn't matter if it's a small, medium, or large organization. Would that be the same? Absolutely. It doesn't mm. matter whether it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a teacher inspiring students, mm. a, a football coach, a, a president of a, of a country, or a president of an organization, profit, for-profit, or, or non-profit. Hey, I, right? have an, I have another question on that, just very quickly, if you don't mind. I, I think sure. about Father's Day that's just gone by, and I think about parenting. Does this apply to that as well? Do you think that kids want to be inspired? 100%. That was the essence. That is, thank you very much for bringing that up. That is the essence of my book, because it's, leadership lessons don't have to be learned from highly acclaimed celebrities uh, yep. or... Uh, successful people. You don't need an Ivy League okay, degree to teach leadership. Leadership lessons, the most important leadership lessons, can be learned from the least expected sources, whether it's a parent, in this case, a father, since we're in Father's uh, Day yep. uh, period, a mom, in my case, or a lot of other people, very un unexpected. So, the ability to inspire people, and it goes back to, to your question on the importance of people, the ability to get the most out of people is the biggest attribute uh, in leadership that uh, organizations expect. So how do you, it's this come back down to um, early um, recruitment phase to choose the right team of people to join the business? And does, does this, um, is there a, like a, a formula or a model uh, for recruitment, so you get the best people who are on on ball with this. It depends. So there's a couple of different schools of thought on mm. on this. Um, in 20, um, 2010, I had the uh, the unique uh, 
opportunity to have a close interaction with the former CEO of Xerox, a very successful uh, lady by the name of Ursula Burns. Yes. And one of the great uh, female CEOs uh, in, in America, globally for that matter. And one somebody from the audience, I still have my, uh, my uh, pocket note uh, clips from that meeting 20 mm -hmm. years ago, believe yep. it or not. Um, ask the question, <laughs> what, is, what is the role of the CEO? She said, the role of the CEO is three things. One is to set a vision for the company. Okay? Two is to hire the next level of senior leadership. And then three, of course, is to go around uh, the, the company and inspire people. So going back to the, the second point that she made, she, uh, in that discussion, that lunch discussion, she elaborated. She said there is a trickle effect in her mind, an expected trickle effect, that if she hires the right set of next-level leaders, that those next-level leaders will, in, in, by in turn, hire great people like themselves and so forth and that yep. trickle effect will go all the way okay throughout the uh, the organization and when you think about it it kind of makes sense right the opposite could be is very likely to be true that's why i i do my uh, research on toxic leadership which is the dark side of leadership because the opposite is absolutely true really. true yep yep I, I wonder if, if we're talking about inspiration, we're talking about choosing the right people. And I'm wondering, um, does inspiration also relate directly or indirectly to um, ownership and responsibility? Does that inspire people to do the right thing? Yes, when you, when you think about inspiration, conceptually speaking, like, okay, it's, it's based on behavior, mm, right? Yep. So the behavior of my leader inspires me to emulate that behavior, to be the best at, at what I do. Their behavior uh, is critical, right? Because we learn from what we see. I mean, culture, when you think about it, I know we're now we're switching a little bit, yeah, uh, yeah. talking yeah. about culture. Mm. Culture, yeah. some people define it as Culture is what people do when nobody is looking, right? Yes, yep. But the key word here is do, right? So we're still talking about how people behave, right? Yep. So you, you walk in in the hallway, there's nobody in the, in the office, right? And you see a, you know, you see a, or you drop a, something on, uh, on the floor. Do you pick it up? Or, you know, you, you're walking in that same hallway and you see something, okay, you see a $100 bill. Do you pick it up and, you know, uh, you put it in the break room and you put a, a, a note on it or do you put it in your pocket? So it's all about behavior. So to go back to your question, mm -hmm. inspiration is about behavior because let me take you back to that uh, piece of research that I, that I mentioned. It is one of the earlier studies that I did in my uh, leadership uh, journey. So when, when those two cohorts, the Americans and the Egyptians, you know, Eastern culture versus Western culture, yep. my yep. hypothesis was there might be some differences turned out to be that people are people. They expect the same thing. So when they said, I want my, uh, my boss to inspire me, they also said, I want them to delegate some work to me. They also said, I don't want them to play favorite. Yep. They also said, I, don't, I, want, I want them to spend 
a more time okay, coaching and guiding me. They also said I don't want them to spend time politicking okay, than working. And then finally, okay, uh, they, they said, look, okay, I want to know what my boss is thinking because a lot of times I don't know what's in their head. So when you, when you think about all those things, it's all about the, the leader's behavior. Mm. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I think about boots on the ground and I think about uh, visible leadership as opposed to absent leadership. You know, I'm your boss, but you never see me. Uh, they are starkly different approaches. Is there, is there a time and place for both or should one precede the other? Um, again, you know, if you think about it from a situational leadership school of thought, hey, um, I think Yes, the short answer is yes. There is a, a time uh, for for each. I think some people like a little bit more hand holding yep. than others. A great leader would recognize that. A great leader would would recognize who are the dependable individuals within their team, and they they could empower them more. They could delegate more responsibilities uh, to them reacting to their understanding, the leader's understanding of the individual's capabilities because he cannot lead everybody the same way. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. So, yep. you know, if, if you're coaching Cristiano Ronaldo, you cannot coach Cristiano Ronaldo the same way that you're coaching the, okay. a, the other 10, 10 players, even yep. if they're, they're all professional. Oh, yeah. Yep. They're all multimillionaires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Loving this call. There's so much great things that we could talk about. Thank you very much, Majid. Now, I, I wonder, I think about the different people, different personality types and how they respond as leaders. And I think we've got um, metrics, KPIs, and then we've got thoughts and feelings type people. Um, what do you, do you, do you like to, do you prefer to manage by the numbers or do you have a bit of a blend of, you know, the thoughts, feelings and numbers approach? Look, I, by nature, I am a Libra, so I'm very sociable. Mm -hmm. uh, my leadership style uh, is very collaborative. So I like to engage with, uh, with people. With I like people. to collaborate with, uh, with, with others. Um, I am not a directive type of leader. I never was, even when, when I had multiple levels of, of teams reporting into me. Uh, I wasn't the type that used the authority to try to, to force Get uh, what issues. you want. Yeah. So I'm, I've always believed in the power of collaboration and the fact that the word team, okay, it could be perceived or as an acronym that stands for together each achieves more. So the yep. collective genius, the idea of collectively Okay, people will be much better than the individual sum of the parts. Okay, is very powerful to me. Before we pivot on to um, professional selling, I'd love to know um, what you look for um, from an auditor's perspective. You know, regardless of what position you're in, should everybody have the ability, the skill, be it learnt or natural, to be able to identify a toxic environment, a toxic culture inside of a workplace? 100%. And what is truly a sad, 
state of affairs is that organizations, big and small, spend enormous sums of money annually training high potential individuals to be the next great leaders. Yeah. Those organizations, I mean, we're talking, Rick, we're talking, you know, Fortune 100 companies are spending millions. Millions and millions and millions. Of dollars. As a former Fortune 100 a corporate executive, I can tell you, I've been on three leadership experiences, a, a three different leadership programs that have cost anywhere upward of $10,000, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What organizations do not do is they do not do anything to try to, <coughs> excuse me, to try to um, expose toxic leadership or even talk about toxic leadership behavior. I describe toxic leadership as the cancer of organizations. If you do not detect it early, your organization in trouble. If you have a toxic leader within the organization and they go on spewing their toxicity and the organization does not do anything about it, people leave because as you and I know, people they leave bosses, they don't leave companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will emulate that toxic behavior and slowly that destructive behavior will eat up the organization. Almost so, becomes cultural, uh, doesn't it? Absolutely. So by all means, I think that organizations should uh, do uh, something to, to try to diagnose the level of toxicity, if not across the organization, at least start at the leadership level. And I've never advocated, Rick, that you know you do this diagnostic in order to fire them. No, no. okay, because obviously, they, you know they they're contributing to the organization. But you do it in order for you to manage it. Yep. You do yep. it in order to identify. Hey, look, you got a dark side, man. Okay, you cannot be rude to people. Okay, let's put together a plan. Let's make sure that you're addressing that. Right? Yep. Obviously, toxic behavior, uh, as you can imagine. <clears throat> as a spectrum can run a very wide uh, range. If we're talking about people that are extremely toxic, then obviously you have to, to react uh, to it. If you got somebody who is just... It's not black and white, is it? It's not black no. and white. I mean, you think no, no, about it, you think no. about this, you have the passive aggressive leader, you've got the passive aggressive um, you know, teammates, you've got those who have uh, personal agendas that they're trying to fulfill to maybe corporate ladder climb. Um, there's just so many variables to this. Now, yeah. I just would like, if we could, Majid, to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, for context, just some of the organizations that you've worked with, because I think a lot of people on the show don't know your background. T- tell us yeah. a little bit about the actual brands that you've worked with. Yes, so... Um, just briefly. Start, yeah, yeah, I'll start for in the uh, uh, reverse order. So I spent the last 23 years at Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Um, I left last year, around this time last year, as Vice President of Global Accounts. Yep. Uh, prior to that, I, I spent two years uh, in brand management with Kimberly Clark, a company mm-hmm. that makes uh, Kleenex and Huggies diapers. And then prior to that, five years with Gillette selling razors and uh, personal toiletries. Yep. And my first uh, job out of college was with a company called Warner Lambert. It does not exist, the company uh, mm-hmm. today, but they sold their brands. They did 
Schick razors, dentine chewing gum, and uh, other confectionaries. So as the sum of the parts for all of those different experiences across very different organizations, are there any commonalities that you've really, uh, I guess, adopted and embraced in your uh, training? Yes, perfectionism. All those companies, I mean, they're global and, um, you know, they're enduring for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that they're, they're perfectionists. I'll give you a couple of examples. Mm. Uh, Gillette, before, now they're, they're part of P&G, Procter & Gamble, before yep. they got bought out by Procter & Gamble, um, they used to have, during the time I was with the company, they used to have a 65% market share of the world shaving uh, market. 65% of all razors around the world, right? The second, the number two brand, Schick, had 10%. So by any stretch of the imagination, a lot of management gurus would tell Gillette, ah, there's no need to invest in uh, new product development, MVD, or innovation. You got 65%. You can sleep for... <laughs> 10 years. Okay. Rest on your laurels. <laughs> Absolutely. You can, you can do that for the next 10 years and the number two player would not catch up to you. But not, not Gillette. They were spending 3% of annual revenues every year wow. in research and development. That's crazy. Necess it's a necessary thing though, isn't it? R&D. Well, that's, that's how you keep the organization uh, uh, driving. That's how yep. you maintain... Okay, the mindset, you started off talking about mindset, that's how you keep that leadership, okay, uh, that growth mindset into your organization. So, um, yeah, that, I would say perfectionism was, uh, was and of course, Coca-Cola, arguably the, the second most popular word in the entire world. <laughs> world. A company that operates in 206 countries, a company that went international before international was favorable. Um, the, a company that entered Africa almost 100 years ago, long before Africa okay, was the, the growth engine that companies right now are, you know, are looking at. So um, those, those two values are consistently paramount. Yeah, for all those uh, international brands. What a great conversation. I, I often think also about storytelling because you've just um... I guess, uh, touched on the Coca-Cola story, which I absolutely love, you know, the salesman walking around and I don't know what it was back then, two pence and getting, you know, buy my syrup and, you know, you do this and you do that. And then it just went from there. So on that, how important from a leadership perspective and a selling perspective is the ability to tell stories? Oh, think? it's paramount. Mm. Oh, it's paramount. I mean, you, you, stories, connect us as humans because stories are based on experience yeah and ex experiences are what Everything. we go through right yep, yep. so yep. when when i used to travel with that uh, with coca-cola and you know we'd we'd go in very remote places in in, in places like um you know tanzania in africa and we would be talking over dinner with some of our partners and they would ask um, questions, right? And mm -hmm. I would tell them, okay, a story. And then immediately they would go, oh, well, let me tell you 
Hey, my first time drinking a Coca-Cola. It wasn't actually when Coca-Cola entered Tanzania. I was I was traveling years ago in Kenya, and that was the first time I tasted Coca-Cola. So stories are based on human experiences, and stories just bring the message to life. So the ability to tell a story um, is, is a key leadership uh, skill. It's a way that we inspire others. I mean, if you look at some of all the great, um, you know, inspiring uh, sports-related videos, the coaches on, on those videos had a great story to tell. Yep. And those stories are being told in reality by coaches and teachers. I, I do it all the time in my classroom, mm-hmm. right? I, I use these stories and anecdotes to amplify certain points. Yeah, fantastic. Now, I I love this whole idea that you can tell a story to help you sell, to help be a good leader. Um, tell me, what's the difference between normal selling and your reference to what you've called professional selling? Is there a difference? Uh, there is a difference mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, professional selling uh, is different because it's based on a very systemic, organized, well-thought-out, professional approach. Yep. It's more relationship-based than traditional selling. Traditional selling, you know, you think of a door-to-door salesperson that's selling, I don't know, Tupperware or encyclopedias, right? Or even, (laughs) yeah, Avon or, you know, car salesman, right? But professional selling, it's more long-term, right? So it's about a relationship. So think of, you know, you get hired uh, to work at Coca-Cola. Well, you're not selling Coca-Cola. I never sold Coca-Cola. All I was doing, my teams never sold Mm Coca-Cola. We never physically got in a car and said, hey, Mr. Retailer. Yeah, no. We were maintaining the relationship that existed years ago. But in order to be successful at maintaining that relationship and not screwing up what the company has done for 137 years, mm-hmm. you need professionalism. You need the highest level. It's next level stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You need GM level thinking. You need a growth mindset. You need somebody who's not just going to come to you, Rick, and say, okay, Rick, I know you have your grocery store. I know your traffic is down uh, this month. But let me let me share with you a study that our company did, or here's a story from somebody who has a grocery store similar to yours. They were they were facing some uh, down uh, time, and here's how we help turn around their business. And I bring a success story that helps turn around your business, even though it has nothing to do nothing with buying Coca Cola. Yeah, well, I can imagine sitting around a fireplace with you a bonfire with a group of people just just sharing stories about your journey. And um, I, I believe you've gone on to create uh, professional selling programs. Is that correct? No, no. To, to be honest with you, I joined a wonderful organization, the University of North Texas mm-hmm. here locally, and there is an award-winning professional selling program ah, that was okay. uh, launched nine years ago by uh, Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Lewin, who is who's no longer with the university, but he's done a marvelous job of, of creating this program. 
But what we do is we bring in a very select group of individuals uh, from the university. We normally take in between 10 to 20 people and they go through this program. Got it. It's, yep. it's a year long and it's very successful, huge track record. Yes, fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, yeah. I often think about uh, the different type of people and their roles that they have in an organization. But do you think that everybody should have a selling mentality? Even if they're selling if, internally to each other or externally? Not, not only that, not only that, Rick, every single function within an organization, meaning your lawyer, your, your CFO, your supply chain, okay, your HR person, they have to have professional selling qualities uh-huh. because they're selling themselves. They're selling their function. They're, they're selling, selling their capabilities. Yeah. They're selling... Strategies. Selling value, absolutely. Your yeah. lawyer yeah. is selling their ability to defend, to understand the law inside out, and to think ahead of time. So they're selling something. I always something. tell my students, okay, we're all salespeople. We just don't realize it. And professional selling allows you to systemically compartmentalize what you learn and brings to the forefront, the things that you need to do in order to be successful. So I agree. So I, to, to your point, mm-hmm. yes, everybody should, uh, should have uh, some degree of professional selling, regardless of their function or their level within the organization. What do so, you think? What do you think CEOs do when they go uh, on their yeah. quarterly earnings call? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. They're selling themselves. Now, I wonder, you've, you've obviously been exposed to a lot of students, both online and face to face, presumably. What are yeah. the common, most common questions that you get asked? Uh, relative to, to, to leadership or selling, it doesn't really matter because I'm sure there'd be some common ones. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them, they, they ask me, why did I leave a, a nice paying job at Coca-Cola? Uh, to which I say, in order for me to teach you and to pass that knowledge on to you. And then they all giggle and they say, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Life changes, though, doesn't it? You know, your, yes. your, your personal mission changes. Because, I, because I, I tell them, among other things, hey, do what you love and love what you do. Yes. That's, that's the key advice. to success. Right? So, yeah, they, I mean, they ask me about uh, things like the most, probably I would say the most popular uh, question the last okay, few months is, look, how do you know when to leave an organization. Of course, they look at my resume and we talk and they see that I spent 23 years at, at a company and they're like, how? Hey. Right? Because we're talking about 21, 22-year-olds. The idea of spending 23 years at, at one organization, <laughs> just, they don't comprehend it. Mind-blowing. And what I, tell, what I tell them is, I never set out hey, to spend 23 years at Coca-Cola. No. I started, yeah, and at the end of my first year, Okay. I got evaluated. I got rewarded. I heard some great things. And then I maybe I may have gotten a, a raise. So I stuck around. Yep. And then I stuck around. And before I knew it, it was 23 years. Yeah, wow. If you love what you do. <laughs> if you love what you do. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, does it? Thank you very much for sharing everything you've done thus far. I know that the My Future Business audience would be taking a lot away from this. As I've mentioned, underneath the My Future Business logo, it's got helpful people helping people. And you're certainly doing that by sharing some of your experiences. So thank you very much. Now, in terms of in terms of your cover, who actually did that? And I, I have a further question on the leadership cover. 
Why did you have alternate colours there? Because it's very eye-catching. Was there a thing to that? No, it was uh, designed by the publisher, Archway Publishing. They did a wonderful job. Uh, their designers uh, thought, um, you know, this is, this is a great, impactful way to present the, uh, the, the book, the book uh, yep. red is my favorite color, so I wanted to make sure that's the, that's the background, but the design was done by Archway Publishing. Fantastic. Now, do you have a, 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 any, any intention to go maybe audio book with this, or is it just a hard copy at the moment? Uh, right now, it's hard in ebook. It's available uh, as an ebook. I am working on my second book. I have not thought of the audio. It, it, it would be a very interesting um opportunity maybe i i can have you do the yes. audience since you have a wonderful yeah. uh <laughs> there you go thank you very much now i'd like to ask you about your next book as we uh, near the end of the call uh Marge. um yeah. the toxic trigon i have no idea what that means could you share it with <laughs> us <laughs> yeah so the toxic uh, trigon is the culmination of my uh doctoral thesis uh, right. study Yep. And it basically, it comes down to three things that really are extremely dangerous to organizations. A bureaucratic culture combined with uh, what I call uh, continuance, uh, commitment, and toxic behavior forms the toxic triangle. Right. Very, very, very quickly on each one, bureaucratic culture, uh, you, you know what it is, very sort of very very layered. Yep. a lot of bureaucracies a continuous commitment is when you have a in individuals on your team that are only committed because of the job uh, because of the money yes and the minute they get a you know somebody to pay them five cents more an hour They're they out. might jump ship yep. and then of course the toxic uh, leader is something that you do not uh, want so the the combination of those uh, three things uh, make up that book triangle. Yep. Fantastic. So how far away are we before we see this book? I'm halfway. I'm, I'm aiming uh, March of 2023. Uh, yep. uh, my first book was launched um, March of 2022. Uh, yep. So uh, I'm trying to keep it on that same uh, cycle. Thank you very much for sharing. Great call. I know there'd be a lot of people who uh, want to uh, get their hands on your book. So uh, a couple of things in that. Where are they going to find it? And if they want to contact you, where do they go? Yes. So Leadership Lessons from an Illiterate Mother is available on Amazon, um, Archway Publishing, Barnes & Noble. Uh, we do ship Amazon, not, not we, Amazon ships international, mm -hmm. international sales. Um, you can contact me. You can uh, look me up on LinkedIn, Majid Yagi, M-A-J-E-D-Y-A-G-H-I. And I'm more than happy to, uh, to talk to anyone that might have a question or some uh, additional thoughts. This has been a great call. Anybody who's on the call with us today, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we've only just touched the surface of all the topics that we've covered today. I'll be making sure that the links back to the leadership book and to Majid are available below this post, no matter where you see it. You will find the links back to Majid and his wonderful books. And with that being said, Majid, Thank you so very much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much, Rick. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends, and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. 
And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.